We're in the, still in our studies in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 will be taking our text from tonight, Lord willing. This will be part number 10 of our the Acts of Jesus Christ through His Apostles Bible series. And tonight I've titled the message, All Things in Common. All Things in Common. Look at it there in Acts chapter 4. And we'll go ahead and read verses 32 through 37. The Bible says, And the multitude of them that believed were one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Father, thank you for the reading of your word tonight. Help me as I try to preach on this, Lord, that uh, you'll be glorified. Lord, keep me out of the way, and uh, we'll give you the, the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we left off last time in our studies here with Peter and John being threatened by that uh, council that had come together after they had imprisoned them. They didn't imprison them, really. They just took them under house arrest and kept them overnight, and then they had this little trial, if you will, uh, with them. Uh, it wasn't a, an official trial, but it was a questioning. And then uh, a determination by that council of what they were going to do to them because they had been healing and preaching in the name of Jesus and they didn't like it. They got upset about it. Uh, of course, we know the Sadducees were extremely upset because they were preaching about the resurrection and they didn't believe in the resurrection and they didn't want anybody else to believe in it and they didn't want anybody to teach about it. And so they got extremely upset. And uh, they questioned them and everything, but couldn't find anything against them, really. And uh, they, they decided they would just threaten them. That's what the Bible said they did. They threatened them. And then they threatened them some more. <laughs> so they double, double threatened them. It doesn't say exactly what all they said, but they were not to preach and uh, teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And so uh, after that, they let them go with that, uh, with that direction you guys are not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, especially concerning the resurrection. And so Peter and John, they returned back to the group of believers, which is the church. They returned to the church. So if you become a believer, you're part of the church. And uh, especially in that day, in the, in the early church in Jerusalem, where it began there on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, and all those people came together, over 3,000, and then uh, more thousands uh, come to know Christ. And so a large, large church now is gathering in Jerusalem, and that's where they go back. They go back to them, they've been praying and wondering about their preachers. And so they want to know everything that happened. And that's what Peter and John told them. He said, this is what, this is what took place. This is what they said for us to do. And we told them, do what you've got to do. But as for us, we're going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus. <laughs> that's all we can do. And so uh, we know what happened. They started praying for the Lord to, to help these men, to give them boldness uh, in face of all this persecution they're now up against. 
and uh, the circumstances they're in. And the Lord began to shake the place where they were at. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, it said, and they spake the word of, of God with boldness. That was the last things that we read last time. And so the place was shaken because the church had got together in earnestness and prayed for the Lord to do something, and he did. And so we pick up there in verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. All right, so there's two phrases there, of one heart and of one soul, and then had all things in common. Those are the two things that we need to focus our attention on here tonight. And I believe it's one of the biggest things missing in most churches today is people are not of one heart and one soul, and they certainly don't have all things in common. There's such a mixture of people today in churches uh, that have uh, different ideas, different uh, theologies, uh, ideologies, psychology, eschatology, and all them other ologies. They're all mixed up these days. Well, listen, the church, we all have all things in common. We all know uh, that Jesus is our Savior. We all said that we trusted him, believed in him, believed on his name and what he did for us, and he saved us. And if we can believe those things, then everything else ought to fall right in place. All we simply have to do is go down through the Bible and read what it says and believe that. But you have people that come around, they, they've got other ideas. They've got, they want to enlighten everybody. That, you know, that's the thing these days. Everybody wants to be enlightened. They want to be the smartest person in the room. Well, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, you may think you are, but you're not. Uh, and so you'll see things happen in churches. I've been in some churches where there's such uh, cliques. I mean, you've got a group over there in that corner and a group over in that corner and one over here and, and over there. Not many up here in the front, <laughs> ever. <laughs> but uh, you've got all these little groups of people together and some of them won't even talk to the others. I have seen it so bad that some people, when they went down to the altar to pray, there were some people that wouldn't go down and pray with them. But if somebody else went down to pray, they'd go down and, and pray with them. I've seen it where somebody can get up and sing, and some of the people there sit there like this listening to them. Won't say amen, won't, won't back them up, won't do anything. But if somebody they like, they get up and sing, amen, boy, they're just giving it everything they got. They support them 100%. It ought not to be that way. It ought not to be. We ought to have all things in common. One heart and of one soul. And when we come together to worship, we're worshiping the same God. It's the same Jesus. We don't have separate Jesuses that we worship. and It's all one. And we should all be one body in Christ working together with all things in common. Now, to operate in one accord, we have to be together. We can't have half the people believing one way and half the other. There's this big thing today called coexist. You even see the bumper sticker, coexist, and they got all these different religious symbols. That's not what the Bible teaches. Listen, we believe in Christianity. We can't coexist and worship with other faiths that are not Christian faiths. We cannot do that. They don't worship our God. They don't worship our Jesus. They worship false gods. And so we can't coexist with the Muslims and, the, and, uh, and all that stuff. We can't come in together and worship together with them. They're not worshiping our God. And so uh, we need to be, be aware of that. And so we come together, we need to be all 100% together. They all believe the same here in this early church. It says they had one heart and one soul. They cared for each other just as much as they cared for themselves. 
Now, that's a rare thing these days. Nowadays, it's every man for himself. It's me, myself, and I. And if I can get around to you when I've got took care of, then that's fine. But I'm going to take care of me first. That's, that's the attitude today. But these, this church, they cared for each other as much as, as you would your family. Now, be honest with me tonight. If somebody in your family was hurting, you love your family. You're going to go out of your way. You're going to do everything possible to take care of that family member. I am. If one of my kids is hurting, one of my kids is in need, I, you better believe I'm going to do everything in my power to help them. Well, the church should be that way. If one member is having a problem, one member is hurting, then the church should come together just as if they were our own personal family. That's what's happened here. One heart and one soul. Not a bunch of hearts separated, a bunch of souls separate. No, it's like they all just come together and loved each other. And so the church family should be that way. And we see what grew out of that. Look at it. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. They were so selfless, not selfish, selfless, that they thought of other people before they thought of themselves. And so nobody took state claim to anything. If there was a need there, whoever was in need, it's theirs. Somebody didn't come around and say, now hold on a minute, that's mine. You can't have that. Somebody hungry and there's some food over there. You can't have that food, that's my food. <laughs> no. They all just uh, they all just had everything. They, they Everything that was there, they all possessed it. It wasn't like just one person or two. There was no selfishness. And uh, they shared and shared alike. Look at verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Well, these, these apostles are going to just, in despite of those Sadducees, are going to keep preaching about the resurrection. Uh, they're going to bring it up even more now. Because that is one of the instrumental points of the faith in Christ is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there's no point in anything else. If Jesus had not resurrected like he said he would, there'd be no reason for us to be here tonight. But he resurrected in three days, just like he said he would. He, he died on that cross, he was buried, and he rose again in three days, and now he sits on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So if he had not resurrected, we might as well just go out and worship Allah or Buddha or whatever, as far as that matters. But he did. He resurrected. And so they're with great power. And remember, that's what they were praying for, the church. Give them boldness, power. Give these men the, the ability to go out and preach. And that's what they did. And because they did this, because they freely preached just exactly what they should have, great grace was upon them all. Great grace. Now, that could mean a, a few things. Uh, we know the church was praying for this. And so uh, the great grace, it could have been the grace that God give these men to preach in that, that form, that fashion, that boldness, uh, be able to preach like they did. Or it could mean the church had such great grace there in Jerusalem that everybody was in gre agreement with them. We know they had favor with the people at that time. The church did. Now, it will, it will change just shortly after all this. It's going to turn, tables are going to turn. The Jews are going to apply more pressure. We remember not too far after this, uh, Stephen is martyred. And then the church starts, it gets uh, busted up and they all start going everywhere. Uh, but right now, they have things in favor with even those outside of the church. Uh, but God gave them great grace. They've got great grace to preach. They've got approval of the people. And things are wonderful. Now look at verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked... For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them 
and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now we see something really peculiar. Notice that nowhere in there, nowhere in the Bible does it say that these people were commanded to go sell all their things and give it away. They were not commanded to do that. This was not something the apostles come up with. They didn't say, now everybody's got to go out now, sell what you got, bring it back to us and lay it down here. That didn't happen. They did this on, willingly because they wanted to. They wanted people to be took care of. It said, neither was there any among them that lacked. Well, the reason they didn't lack was because the people with generosity came in and said, we want to help people. And I was looking up some statistics and I actually printed them out and left them on the printer so I, didn't, I don't have them. So I'm trying to... Trying to get it out of here. I was looking up statistics on charitable giving and in the United States. And do you know Tennessee is the fourth biggest charitable giver of, of all 50 states? Tennessee is the fourth highest. Utah is number one. I guess all those Mormons out there are giving out things. <laughs> but uh, uh, Mississippi and Alabama, Mississippi was second, Alabama was third, Tennessee was fourth, and I believe Georgia was fifth. All the top most charitable um, states in the United States, except Utah, are southern states. Most of them are considered poor states. But yet we're the biggest givers. The same statistics looked up in correlation with Christians. People of religious faith. Do you know that we give more than all others? When we're associated with religion, I think it was... Three-fourths of all charitable giving and volunteer, of course, Tennessee being the volunteer state, and, and volunteering to help others, the uh, people that uh, go to church at least twice a month, it said, give more than anybody else. Three-fourths of all giving in the United States, people that go to church. Uh, that ought to tell us something. It makes a big difference uh, where your heart is. If your heart, if the Lord, if, you're, if the, your heart's with the Lord, and you start uh, the things of the Holy Spirit, he's the one that's prompting us to do these things. You're not good. No, none's good. The Bible says there's none good. No, not one. The only thing good about us is what God has put into us, uh, what we have from Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so because of this, we are willing to give to others. We want to see other people have things and uh, to not suffer. And so Christians, uh, that's what we do. We're giving people. But these people did this out of their own uh, free will. They weren't, they weren't forced to do it. And that is one trait of a true Christian is that we willingly want to help others and give. Uh, Christians and churches are the most generous of, of everyone in the world. Uh, anytime there's some kind of natural disaster, some church is going to try to help. Some Christian organization is jumping in there trying to help. And uh, that's the way it is. Now, I mentioned this Sunday, but if you're saved... You have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you will also have the fruit of the Spirit. You should exhibit those. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Those nine fruits of the Spirit are available to all Christians. Now, the question is, do, are we accessing them? Are we... Are we in tune with the Holy Spirit? Are we uh, working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit and allowing the, this fruit to, to grow and to prosper and to go out and do things? Um, listen, God will, will bless us abundantly 
if we're blessing other people through him. I mean, that's what we are. We're, we're reflectors of the sun. You know, what, is, what they say, the, the moon doesn't have any light, it just reflects the sun. Well, Christians don't either. We just reflect the light of Christ, and that's what we do. Now, remember that a lot of these people that made up this early church, they had come from other places. And a lot of them stayed in Jerusalem because of the excitement, and they wanted to be around the other believers in, in, in this church and hear these apostles preach. Well, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, this was exciting stuff. And so they had came there to celebrate Pentecost, and then they got saved, and they just stayed there. Well, they, they, wasn't, they wasn't working. They wasn't doing things. Uh, so they had to have the means to stay there, to eat, to sleep, to a place to stay. And so this took a little bit of, uh, of you know, money. And so there were probably scores of people that didn't have a place to stay or enough money to buy enough food to survive on. And so the church said, you know what, we're just going gonna to help them. We're going to step up and help them. And look, living, belonging to the church in those days was a big deal. Nowadays, people just just hop from church to church, put their name on every church, you know, in in the city. I know some people; their names is on the church roll book in like four or five different churches. They get a little something upset or mad about, and they leave and they go join the church down the road. And so they're on everybody's roll book. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, belonging to the church in that day was a huge deal. It was their way of life. I mean, it was the number one thing for them. And it wasn't just coming together on a Sunday and a Wednesday. Why no? They were together all the time. Uh, church was everything to them. To them. Today, Christian Street Church, like it's a place to go if you don't have anything else to do. Yeah? Well, you know, I'll go if I don't have this to do or that to do or something else better don't come up. You know? No, boy, I know when I grew up, church was it. And everything else come after that. You know, if we were having church, don't even ask. You go and ask mom and dad if you can go somewhere when we're having church. <laughs> you might as well just forget about it. They'd probably beat me by the time I got done asking. Uh, I knew I was going to church. If the door was open, they're not going to let me go to a ball game. They're not going to let me go to son's house. If church was in, in session, I'm going to church. And I know a lot of people think, well, that's awful harsh. Well, you get brought up in a Christian home, that's what it's like. But uh, today, people don't treat church like they did back in those days. Uh, most people, it consists of two hours a week at the most. And, uh, you know, they walk out the door. They don't think another thing about it till the next service. And we need to get back the way things were in the first century church. Maybe we start seeing differences in lives and communities and uh, in our city. And, uh, you know, the Lord can do great things. We could see the the Lord multiply the church. Uh, Sister Darlene was talking there, you know, church used to have two or three hundred people. I understand that. I know that. And uh, she longs for those days, and I do too. That, uh, that's the way it was when I was growing up. I mean, you, you were lucky to have a seat. You come to church late, you're going to sit in a metal chair. And they're going to put chairs out in the aisle. There were so many people there. There's some churches that had to sit in the choir. There were so many people. It's not like that now. Um, you know, we, we can't uh, dwell on the past We've got to look at what we have in the here and now. And if everybody would be faithful to the church where they have their name on the roll book, the churches would be filled today. They're not. They're just not faithful. And so uh, church in that day was uh, a big deal, and it ought to be a big deal now. Look at verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. Now we're introduced to this man Barnabas. This is the first time we hear about him. 
We know later on about him because he joins up with Paul. He's his first missionary partner, and they go out and witness the people and, and start churches and everything else. Uh, but this is the first mention of him. Um, he helped Paul establish a lot of places, uh, uh, Christian places, all over the unchristian world. Uh, and uh, he also helped Paul be accepted in the eyes of the apostles and uh, the people. Listen to this in Acts nine twenty six and 27. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was the disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So this man Barnabas, he's a unique feller. Uh, he is, uh, one thing, he's a wealthy man, as we're, as we're seeing here coming up. But he's also a um, someone who's who's an encourager. He he encourages people. He wants to help people. And here he come up alongside Paul and and told the disciples, he said, "Look, I know you guys are afraid of him. He used to persecute Christians. He he hated the church. He's not like that anymore. I'm a witness to him. I've heard him preach. I've been around him. And so because of Barnabas, they accepted Paul as a disciple. Uh, it's interesting that the Bible singles him out though. To mention what he's done here. And, uh, you know, when a lot of these other people's done that too, a lot of people sold their belongings and gave it to the apostles. But they, he's, they've singled out Barnabas for a reason. The Lord has. And we can only assume it's because the Lord wants us to take interest in him and how he conducts himself. Um, he's an excellent example of a true giver. Look at the meaning of his name. The Bible interprets it for us, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Now, don't forget the writer of the book of Acts, the, the human penman. God's the author of the Bible, but he uses human penmans to pen down the words that he wants them to, to write down. And so Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, and he began this book by addressing it to the same man he addressed the gospel of Luke to, a man named Theophilus. And so when we see things like this interpretation given, that is his way of, of giving us Barnabas' name, the son of consolation, what it means. And so anybody that was not uh, familiar with Greek, they would have known what his name meant. Names meant more back then, too. I've talked about this already. I'm not going to preach about the cow sheds again, brother. I know you want to call me that. Uh, that's my name, the cow shed. But uh, these names were important back then, and so the... the, the uh, uh, interpretation of the name is given, the son of consolation, uh, which means one who prophesies and exhorts is what his name means. One who prophesies and exhorts. In other words, Barnabas is a, he's a preacher, is what he is. It also says that he's a Levite. Um, that means he's from the priestly tribe of Levi. As we know, the, the men of Levi were categorized in two different classes. We had priests and you had Levites. Uh, we're all familiar with the duties of a priest, but you don't hear much about the office of Levites, really, unless you go back and study in the Old Testament. Let me give you this quickly, and we'll be finished. But a Levite was employed in the lower services of the temple. Uh, we read about their duties in 1 Chronicles chapter 23, verses 27 through 32. This is what the Levites did. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above because their office was to wait on the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord in the courts and in the chambers and in the purifying of all holy things and the work of the service of the house of God, both for the showbread and for the fine flour, for the meat offering and for the unleavened cakes and 
for that which is baked in the pan and for that which is fried and for all the manner of measure and size, and to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at even, and to offer all burnt sacrifices unto the Lord in the Sabbaths, in the new moons, and on the set, uh, set feast, by number according to the order commanded unto them continually before the Lord, and that they should keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation and the charge of the holy place and the charge of the sons of Aaron, their brethren, in the service of the house of the Lord. So the Levites really, they were doing all the hard stuff. They were, they were putting forth all the work while the priests were, were doing the other things. And so that's the tribe that, uh, that Barnabas is from, is from that priestly tribe. And it also says he was from the country of Cyprus. Uh, we see that uh, um, while he is of Jewish descent, he was born and raised on a pagan island. Cyprus was a pagan island. It wasn't a, a Jewish uh, uh, home place. It's about 220 miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, it's out in the Mediterranean Sea, and it's a very rich place. They produced a lot of wine and uh, honey, oil and wool. It was uh, If you were from Cyprus, you were usually well off because they had a lot of these things there that they, uh, they, would, um, they produced and sold. Barnabas, he obviously made a good living while living there in Cyprus, and he was a wealthy man. But when he got saved, he was willing to give up his riches so that those in the church did not have to struggle and go without. We see that in the last verse, verse 37 in Acts chapter 4. Having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this, is, this gets us set up for what's going to happen in our next, uh, next uh, sermon in this in this book um, we're going to see a problem occurs because of this not because he did it but because of someone that was observing and someone that uh, wanted to get the same type of reaction out of people that he gets and we're going to see it's the first time the church has trouble from within you know usually the church is getting trouble from the outside but this is the first time a church problem happens inside the church, and we'll talk about that in the next uh, message. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, before we do, I, I would like to say I'm I am thankful for you being here tonight. There's a lot of places you could be, and I'm glad that you're here. And uh, I hope that you're going to have a great Thanksgiving. I know that we are. Mary has cooked all day. Uh, she's got cakes and pies and all kinds of good stuff. And I'm I'm going to be 300 pounds by the time the week's over. I'm not too far from it but already, but uh, I will be. But uh, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll be at home. If you need me for anything, I'm just a phone call away. And uh, I can help you if you need anything. And uh, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the message tonight. And I thank you for the examples that you've given us of that early church and how, Lord, we should make ourselves uh, more like them. Lord, if the church would get serious these days and, and model ourselves after that first century church, God, how much power that we could have, uh, not only in the church, but Lord, outside the church, in the communities and in families. God, I pray for this church and, and each member. Lord, I pray for those that uh, have uh, strayed away, God, uh, those lost sheep that's out there, God, that need to return to the flock, God. I'm praying for them tonight. I pray that you lead them back into your house. And God, uh, I pray that uh, for the, each one that's in the building tonight, God, you know their hearts and 
Thank you so much for them, Lord. I pray that you keep us all safe on our way home. Bring us back here to our next appointed time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen.